Hi, and welcome to On the Edge. I'm Kelly Ryan. And I'm Rob Driscoll. This is our very first episode of our brand new podcast, so thanks for tuning in. Each episode, we bring you an interview with a Canadian business leader that we have featured in Business Edge News Magazine. We just relaunched the magazine, both in print and online at businessedgemedia.ca. But being a former radio reporter, I wanted you to be able to hear some of the amazing people we get to talk with. We'll bring you the extended version of the interview here beyond what we can offer in print. This week, our guest is in Nova Scotia. Tarek Haddad and his family make chocolates that are distributed across this country. It's an incredible story of an immigrant family's resilience and the people in the small town of Anaganish that adopted the Haddads and their vision. We reached the CEO of Peace by Chocolate, Tarek Haddad, by Zoom. Hello, Tarek. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. So we want to take you back a long ways uh, because there'll be a lot of people in our audience that haven't heard your story, um, which, of course, started in Syria. Like, was your family chocolate makers your whole life? They have been, actually, yes. So uh, our family comes from, uh, you know, the, the heritage of making chocolate as a way to spread happiness into the world. As my dad said, everyone eats chocolate will be happy. No one eats chocolate will be sad. Uh, and it started in 1986, actually. It's not that, uh, you know, kind of a long time ago. And it all started with my dad because all the other family members and the generations uh, in the family were uh, where doctors, lawyers, judges, no one really wanted to take the risk of being an entrepreneur or starting, uh, you know, an entrepreneurial path in life. So my father started this by himself. Then my mom joined him a year later after they fell in love over two boxes of chocolate that my father gave to her. And that's how, you know, the story of my family began. It was solely on the love of spreading um, happiness and making good products. Uh, when we came to Canada, we realized that yes, they just uh, translate our uh, our passion towards making the world a happier place again. Here, with uh, I think uh, understanding that chocolate is universal. Chocolate is like music. Uh, everyone understands it, right? You don't have to know the lyrics of an Arabic song to really feel the emotions. You know, even if you don't speak the language, the same thing for chocolate because everyone really kind of. Uh, uh enjoy it the same way but also it brings different memories when you try a dark chocolate bar or a dark chocolate piece that reminds you of something with a flavor that can take you with an orange peel that can take you to your first visit to the middle east or to spain or you know somewhere where it really just i think uh brings back all this sweetness of uh, of memories and connections and at the end of the day i think uh, the world can use more sweetness in a time of darkness and anxiety and hatred and I think, you know, you, you, you need the world to come back together. In Syria, we just didn't know that the world can, um, can lose peace at the split of the moment. You know, we were living in a peaceful country. Uh, my father built that business. Um, you know, there were wars around us in Syria, for example, in Iraq, in Lebanon, Palestine, all over. But uh, we didn't know that we can lose the peace ourselves. And we took that for granted. So the business grew to became to become really the second largest chocolate manufacturing facility in the region at that time. In 2005, between 2005, 2008, the company was exporting chocolate everywhere in Syria. 
uh, so from Syria to even European countries like Belgium, where we're importing chocolate from from my father's company, and I'm like, they don't need more chocolate; they have enough already. Going to take you back to Damascus and and uh, have you, if you would, Tarek, uh, compare what it was like uh, for you growing up in Damascus, uh, understanding that uh, as a child it doesn't sound like you were concerned about wartime, but uh, comparing that life to what you see for children in Canada. Uh, there was a big uh, thing for us, which is uh, family. We used to say in, fa- in times of test, family is best. You know, in times of um, anxiety, in times of unrest, in times of conflict, you would always go back to your family. You'd always really just try to seek peace uh, and safety with them. And that's why we were growing up all in one building. My entire family, you know, my father's side of the family, 60 members of my family were living in one building of 10 floors. My grandmother was on the first floor. We were on the second floor with my uncles and my my aunts and my cousins. They were all above us. And then every Saturday, we used to have the supper together. Uh, so, you know, coming together as a family has uh, meant the world to us. It meant that we have um, we have our family to to um, protect us you know from any uh, dangers you you never know uh, what life is gonna throw at you um I was when I was born it it was just fascinating how the culture there just uh, you know uh kind of takes you in different directions to towards um, a career in life when 99 percent of Syrian mothers they want their kids to become doctors. And 1% of them, they want them to be engineers. So I was from the 99% and I grew up in, you know, with the love of medicine as a passion for me to grow up in one of the, if not the most ancient city in the world. Damascus is, uh, is the, 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 the oldest inhabited city around, around the globe. You know, it goes back over 12,000 years. And as, you know, a child, I, uh, I did not, you know, uh, participate much in the uh, in in the social life as as other children because I was too busy, you know, studying because I had a goal in life to become a doctor and that was always my vision. But at the same time, you know, comparing it to uh, the life of children in Canada, which is uh, you know, um, I would say it's very different in many ways. Um, Canadians are very lucky. Canadian children are very lucky to know different cultures and different people, you know, in their schools and their, their growings, uh, that they come from different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different countries. Uh, I love the quote that says, you know, Canadian are, uh, Canadians are born uh, everywhere across the globe. It just takes them a little bit to get here. My siblings and my nephew and my niece, they tell me all about the kids that they come, you know, they speak to them in Gaelic, they speak to them in Mi'kmaq, they speak to them in, uh, in Pakistani, in, uh, you know, in Urdu, they speak to them in Spanish. They speak to them in in a lot of languages, and they, you know, try to uh, t- to understand that that the cultures and the, and what people bring to Canada is really a source of of strength. And uh, yeah, I think you know the uh, the other thing about you know growing up in in Syria is I was glad that uh, I was not a kid anymore when the war started. But um, there were still many kids in the family that uh, I remember during wartime. Uh, in the middle of July in 2012, when uh, the war reached Damascus, uh, my, all you know, my uh, my little cousins and my little siblings were crying, and they just didn't know what to do. They uh, they were just uh, hearing the explosions around the building. 
hearing the helicopters that were hovering over us and uh, the soldiers were just shooting everywhere on the streets. And, uh, you know, look how I was looking at how scared they were. And uh, it just uh, hurt so much, you know, at that time to really feel helpless, to feel useless, uh, to feel that you cannot do anything to alleviate, you know, the, the stress and anxiety and the pain. Uh, from those kids. Um, and I believe, you know, we ran to the basement at that time. We were stuck uh, for five days as family members uh, without food, without water, without electricity. And uh, yeah, the, the only thing that we could hear at that time were kids who were screaming um, and that they were scared to death, uh, as they were saying. So on the sixth day, we just rushed out of that, of that basement and we had it out of the building. Um, and then we became called refugees. I find it incredible that you moved from that to being in refugee camps and then to Antigonish. I'm from Nova Scotia. Uh, people who don't know Antigonish, it's a tiny, tiny little place, really um, dominated by a Catholic university um, and some small town thinking sometimes. Sorry, Antigonish, but <laughs> true. Uh, how did you make that transition? Uh, absolutely. You know, I um, I was pretty skeptical. I was very hesitant about the idea of moving to a small town. That's why when I uh, when I did the interview with the Canadian consul back in Lebanon, I told him, uh, can we go to a big city like Damascus? And uh, he said, let me check. And then he said, actually, if you arrive in a small town, you're going to find a sense of family. You're going to find people who are going to take care of you. Uh, it's, it's uh, you're not going to become a member as if you land in uh, uh, in Toronto or in uh, Vancouver or anywhere across in Montreal, anywhere else across the country. And it's funny because I was always persistent on going to Toronto. And they, I only knew from Toronto Bay Street. I didn't know it was like that Bay Street. Toronto is like that commercial aspect. But I knew Bay Street. And it's funny because we are not living on Bay Street in Toronto. We're living on Bay Street in Antigonish. And it's, you know, that <laughs> That's it's so different. It's so different. Uh, it's so different. Uh, but uh, I call Antigonish a small town with big hearts. You know, people there uh, came to the airport to welcome me and my family without, uh, I think, without prejudices. In Canada as a whole, you know, if we are not indigenous, then we came from somewhere. Uh, our grandparents came from somewhere. Grand Great-grandparents came from somewhere. So I truly believe in the power of immigration to transform communities. But I think my family believes that uh, if we arrived anywhere else in Canada, I don't think we'd have uh, had much uh, much success as we did in in town, for many reasons. The first is you know we found our sense of uh, of home and what it meant for us to arrive in a new place with big family that they were surrounding us with compassion, love, empathy from the first few days that we arrived here. They were coming and knocking on our door. Uh, late in the evening, early in the mornings, they would come and check on us. They would say, do you need anything? Do you have enough clothing? They prepared a house uh, for us. A community group called Safe City Antigonish Families Embrace was the reason why we came to Canada in the first place. They applied for the government to bring a Syrian family they didn't know. Uh, so that's why we ended up in, uh, in Antigonish, actually. It's because of their generosity. It's because of their time. It's because of their volunteering. It's because of their love. Uh, my family and I, we did not choose to go to Antigonish. Uh, Antigonish chose us. Uh, but if we have the choice right now, we choose it again and again and again. 
And I think the beauty of the uh, the town continues to shine as an example among other small towns uh, of the retention of immigrants and newcomers. You know, because whoever comes there, they just don't leave. There was there was um, I think a, a a story just in the beginning when I arrived in Canada, when I arrived in Antigonish, when someone just came to me who was skeptical about us um, being able to you know uh, be self employed as family. And he was saying, uh, Tarek, why did you come to Canada to take our jobs? And I actually went to him and I said, we did not come here to take jobs. We came here to create them. And it was, uh, you know, I had no clue at that time what we were going to do. But I believe that we have brought uh, our skills and our talents as people, you know, who probably lost everything in the war. But we did not lose our skills and our talents. So we did not arrive here empty. We brought something with us. Um, and yet we actually started hiring in the community within only probably um, eight to 12 weeks after arrival. Um, it was fairly quickly when we started, you know, uh, getting help with people that they were just they were helping us making chocolate again and selling it at the farmer's market. In, in small towns, usually people look at things differently than big cities, as you mentioned, Kelly. And for immigrants, when they arrive in these smaller towns, they, uh, they scan the gaps. And then they see what is missing. So when we arrived in town, we said, um, I think what, what was missing at that time is uh, a little bit of uh, uh, opportunities with uh, jobs uh, in the community. And I think that's what's going to attract more people to stay and live there and raise families. And that's why we just decided that entrepreneurship was the way to go in a time of uh, you know um, uncertainty. And I think that's really what, uh, what we have worked on for too long since we arrived here. Now, Tarek, the uh, the movie that we watched uh, it indicated that you sort of fought the chocolate idea and wanted to really focus on your medical plans. Um, was that an accurate representation? Um, how is that for you in terms of uh, going from the the desire to become a medical doctor to being uh, the CEO you are now? And is the medical world in the future? So, two part question again. The the movie was not um, an accurate. I think it was not a documentary. Um, almost sixty percent of the movie was uh, was correct. Uh, all the rest was a, a dramatic addition. I think yeah. to just give a bigger picture of kind of the conflict within uh, the the immigrant community. I think within you know them uh, their their vision and what the reality is. And I think we wanted to tell more than our story in that movie, and that's why you would see you know the kind of the uh, that external character Kelly uh not you Kelly the other Kelly in the movie <laughs> and be like Kelly would be fighting you know the family to uh to stop stop them from building the business and that is not true that's not accurate there was no Kelly actually you know? and at the same time uh, you know within the uh the family we did not have much you know kind of differences in terms of where the family should go although i came to canada based on the my faith that I have to go back to medicine based on my passion that I have to go back to medicine. But I realized that it takes so long. I reached out to many universities to get back to medicine and they all said, sorry, but you have to do high school again and then do the undergraduate degree and then do the MCAT and then you can go back to med school. I'm like, this is another 10 years of my life. And that was really, uh, I think uh, the frustration lasted for almost three months. 
And then I decided it is a time to make that turning point in my life. And I think at that time, I, um, after three months, I just decided that probably focusing on entrepreneurship, focusing on building the chocolate business for our family was the right thing to do. I decided to um, uh, not give up entirely on my dream to become a doctor, but then I decided to just look at things differently and say, well, it's never too late. I think I can prioritize my life now in different uh, timeline than what the expectation was. Because, you know, I think when we are born as human beings, we are put into this one mold of people, you know, to go to high school, go to school, graduate high school, go to do university, undergraduate degree, then do something else, do master's or whatever, buy a house, you know, get married, do all of this, do all of that. There is that clock that we all follow in life. And then I was like, but the, the clock broke, you know, the cycle broke since I left Syria, since I left my homeland, since I left my med school, since I left that. So I think I need another clock. And then I started, you know, having my own, my own clock, my own timeline. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I was balancing between the startup of the business and the school. Um, um, and then I realized certainly that entrepreneurship should be my full focus. I have to make sure that the company is um, is growing, that the company is uh, giving back to the community, the company is doing the right partnerships. And I think uh, I think it was the most rewarding decision that I've ever taken uh, was to really just, I think, take change, I think, my perspective about priorities and reprioritizing my entire life. So give us a little bit of a sense of how the business is doing. I mean, your story is a terrific story and that's the movie and I believe a book as well, right? There's a book right. yeah. from the movie, yes. Um, so it's a great story. How successful is Peace by Chocolate number-wise? Uh, give us a uh, sense of the, the numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the just to give you a little bit of perspective we had uh we started in 2016 with probably uh five employees by the end of the year now we have around 78 employees the company has grown uh, significantly the the road was not easy for sure uh we reached the peak of uh, you know the growth in 2019 we had to scale back in 2020 after we shut down our factory for almost uh, 3 to 4 months after the pandemic started because we were uh, changing our our uh, production stations and we have to rebuild our teams all, all over again uh, so that was a little bit you know of, of uh, pain for sure but the company in general has been uh, growing steadily since we started you know the um, from only one store from only two stores by the end of 2016 now our products are available in 1500 stores across Canada so um, and then the third part is you know the our partnerships with national chains like uh, Sobeys, Loblaws, um, Hudson Bay Group, and, uh, you know, Hudson Bay Company as well. And, you know, we are uh, we are going to be um, hitting more shelves across the country very soon. We're working on ma major national partnerships as we speak. So um, I believe in the, you know, the power of the business as it grows to really, I think, transform um, and not only our lives as a family, but the lives of many people that they are part of our community. And we did not do that all of uh, by our own, you know, on our own. We certainly got um, huge help from the community who were uh, who stepped up, you know, to support us from the first box we sold at the farmers market to uh, everything that we are doing right now. I think that's really what uh, what the company is. 
but uh, the main goal right now is certainly to uh, uh, to fill the demand. We have much bigger demand than our capacity really to uh, to make the product. To uh, uh, hopefully, we're going to make more partnerships as we go. And yeah, we never know where where this is going to take us, but we have big plans for the company uh, for the next few years. Will 2022 be profitable? Uh, 2022, it will be profitable. Yes, uh, in uh, in many ways. I mean, we look at profit in different uh, in different lens uh, than just you know the, the the net income at the end of the year, for sure. I think uh, what what matters to us is um, is the company growing sustainably. We have suffered a lot over the past uh, you know two years during the pandemic with a lot of uh, uncertainty, shutdowns. Uh, especially with variants as they were spreading across the province, we had many shutdowns that they have affected us um, really badly in the in in the business. But uh, the resiliency, I think, uh, of the business and uh, the team um, has been astonishing. And uh, I think um, you know what matters at the end of the day as well, as I mentioned, is our uh, contributions. So from the net income, we donate three to five percent by the end of each year to the Peace on Earth Society. Uh, with major partnerships with uh, indigenous communities, Canadian Mental Health Association, uh, Red Cross. You know, this year we have launched a campaign with the Red Cross for Ukraine that raised tens of thousands of dollars and they were donated to the humanitarian crisis appeal. Uh, We launched many, many major partnerships and now we're just working on creating peace ambassadors. So I think uh, the profit has different lens, you know, has different uh, di- dimensions when it comes to peace by chocolate. And I think our uh, our profit is always uh, how many more people did we make happy this year? And I think uh, that's really the, the net. That's really my my net income. Human humanity first, uh, and human first, humans first. And I think um, you know once we put our team members at the really top priority for us, I think. Uh, that that was that was the goal. But for me as a, as a CEO, I just believe that my uh, a lot of people really, you know, when it comes to businesses, they just think about the CEO as the one person who has to take care of the customer. You know, has to think of the customer first. You know, uh, and, but I think you know that's that's not true because for me as a CEO, I don't talk to customers. I talk to the to my team. I think my responsibility has always been to take care of the team members. You know, I take care of my team members who take care of team members who take care of team members who take care of the customer. How, how would you say um, uh, your piece by chocolate differs, the product differs from the others, whether it's Calibo or, or Purdy's? Um, what, what is it that sets you, sets you apart in terms of the product itself? Well, you know, the... the what what we try to do differently is uh, you know be unique and be remarkable in the way that we um, first you know the fillings that we use in the in the chocolate it starts with all the roasted ingredients that we do use like pistachios and hazelnuts and all kind of uh, fillings that uh, that that we introduce as well uh, using uh, uh, what where we belong in Nova Scotia and Nova Scotia and sea salt and blueberries. And dried blueberries, and using only the freshest uh, ingredients um, and and honey, you know, it's all handmade as well. You know, the you would feel the difference, and the customer feels the difference when they know there is a human being, a human touch. Still, you know, every chocolate bar you would eat, 
is made by hands, you know, for people who are scraping those molds, you know, and putting these fillings into the chocolate and, you know, freezing the and, and cooling it down and then getting it out of the molds to the packaging that you would find people just, you know, wrapping these chocolate bars and getting them into cartons ready to ship out. Having a huge variety as well in the company within the flavors is giving us an advantage point because we don't follow the 80-20 rule. You know, we don't have that one top product that other companies do. Like you would find certain companies, you know, uh, mass producing certain products and then they have that, that the 20% when they just make the other uh, products. We do not have that. We have uh, a lot of products that they are... Um, popular the same uh that they have you know um they have been part of our uh, classic uh, uh introductions as well that we have brought into our product mix since 2016 and 17 and they are still there until now but at the same time we are adding uh new products every every time and i think that's what people really expect from a company like ours but before our flavors people buy the product because they love the language they love the the messaging on them. They love how we spread peace in different languages. They are, we celebrate, you know, people who are becoming Canadian citizens, how we celebrate Canada with a milk chocolate maple cream, for example, with bars with different sayings that says, you know, giver or hey buddy or a. Tara, can I get you to go back a little bit? Um, obviously war is, is a big topic of discussion these days. And, and I think a lot of Canadians think it's still really far away, but uh, my feeling is that we all uh, need to be vigilant and and do what we can in our own small way. Um, obviously, you experienced it uh, much closer than uh, almost all of us in Canada have. Um, is there a message you have uh, based on your experience uh, for for people what we can do to uh, minimize the chance of war coming to our front door? Absolutely. And that's why we call the company Peace. We started with Peace. We did not call it Chocolate for Peace. We call it Peace by Chocolate for that reason. Uh, peace is at the essence of everything. Without peace, you cannot go to work. You cannot build businesses. You cannot raise family. You cannot do anything. We cannot actually record this interview without peace. So I think, uh, you know, celebrating peace as at the forefront of uh, our existence is very crucial. Now, many Canadians take this for granted. A lot of Canadians, you know, that they uh, they have never tried war. They don't know how, what it means. Uh, so many of them, they felt that the pandemic could be worse than war. But I said, no, actually, uh, because in 2013, during the war that tore my immediate family apart, uh, we lost uh, everything. We were forced to leave our homes. We were forced to leave everything behind. During the pandemic in 2020, we were asked to stay in our homes and we were asked to stay safe. And then I said, you know, I would take a million, a million pandemics over one war, to be honest, because uh, I think uh, uh, wars are the most atrocious, um, uh, cruel uh, form of expression of conflict that any human uh, could live in. And there's nothing good in war except its ending. We need to work on creating that sense of understanding. We need to create that sense of harmony in our society, because without harmony, uh, war can start at any moment. And I became a Canadian citizen only a few years ago. And I said, when I became a citizen, I did not just sign up to Canada's excellence. I also owned its mistakes and failures. So it starts right there. It starts when we all own its mistakes and failures. But wars can happen in different forms. And armed conflicts are only one ways of, of wars. You know, there are wars and conflicts that just doesn't take 
mass killings or, or rockets or our guns or shootings, you know, t- to happen. There are words that can happen certainly when we know that there are other community members who are suffering to the most while we are living in our comfort zone and we are enjoying all the privileges. Let's make sure that our society is harmonized. Let's make sure that we are all siblings under one family where we are part of the big Canadian family. So let's make sure that no one of this family is hurting. Let's make sure that everyone in this family is treated equally. Let's make sure that everyone in this family is represented and and, uh, has a voice at the table. You have, as a company, made a commitment to hire and to mentor uh, refugees. Uh, What is the um, scope of that program? Uh, We made a commitment uh, to hire refugees. So I had 50 refugees in the company, mentor 10 businesses started by refugees and help four businesses started by refugees in distribution and marketing. Whenever we have a resume from a refugee, they're not going to be discriminated against based on their experience because they need a place to start. You know, they're going to have a fair judgment based on their character, based on what they can offer and based where they can work. And we're going to support them. We're going to mentor them. We're going to train them. Now, you had some experience with this uh, situation with very trained, well-trained people immigrants uh, not being able to become doctors and scientists, even though we have so many brilliant minds that are ready to step into right. the medical system and, and other areas. And it's, it just baffles me. And I, I use cabs, uh, taxi cabs and Ubers a lot. And I, I, I love hearing the stories. And there are so many overqualified uh, people who could really help us in the most vital categories. What would your advice be to uh, let's federal government be in terms of how how can we streamline this to take advantage the unused uh, beautiful minds that are all over this country. Remove the barriers. You know, I think uh, there are a lot of barriers, and I feel like everyone is throwing the responsibility on different levels of government. When you talk to mayors, you'd be like, "Oh, this is a provincial government." When you talk to provincial government, you're like, "This is a federal government thing." It's not actually. It's it's across. A governmental issue. Societies need doctors. Uh, you need uh, healthcare workers. You need uh, nurses. You need uh, people who are willing to step in, as you mentioned, but they don't have that chance to to be there. And that's really one of the reasons as well why when I started the business, I called a friend of mine in Toronto and he said, uh, Tarek, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a doctor. And I am trying to get back into medicine again. And he said, do you know that 60% of cab drivers in Toronto are immigrant physicians and nurses. And uh, I said, actually, no, I didn't know that. And then, uh, and they were like, uh, he was like, those people just, uh, I think are going to protect your life if you showed up and had a heart, or heart attack, if you had a heart attack in their taxi. But imagine that the government is not willing to give them a chance to be there at the emergency rooms where they belong. And it just, you know, it broke my heart since then because I know how, how uh, severe the healthcare crisis is across the country. I remember uh, one day, you know, my uh, just this summer, my fiance and I, we were driving in uh, Cape Breton in Nova Scotia and uh, she had low bl- blood sugar and she fainted out. And then I drove to the emergency room at the hospital and the emergency room, the emergency department was closed for Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. And I'm like, what's a hospital? without doctors and without emergency room. It's just a building. 
So I truly believe that there is, like, I believe in Nova Scotia alone, there are like at least a thousand doctors that they can step into the system right away. It's not that there is something wrong with people who are doctors and become entrepreneurs or doctors become drivers or doctors become uh, the frontline workers at grocery stores. There's nothing wrong with that. But should we ask, we need to ask ourselves, did these people really want to do that? Or were they forced to? Let just everyone do what they want. Let everyone do what they love. And I think uh, you would find that uh, the, you'll find a much healthier society. I believe in the power of, uh, you know, um, immigration again to really solve a lot of the issues that, that uh, Canadians are suffering from. Uh, I was going to take you back one more time uh, to Syria. Are you uh, following uh, what's going on in Syria? If so, how are things? And would you go back there? Things got a little bit better after, uh, you know, between 2018 and 2019, almost for like, you know, a year or less than a year. And then when the pandemic started and all the crisis that just happened recently, I think people there are just living because of the lack of death. Uh, that's the only reason. Uh, it was, it's, uh, it's, a uh, like living in hell. A lot of people just cannot leave the country. Uh, the, um, the economy is, uh, just, uh, uh, took a huge, uh, you know, uh, downturn since the war started. And now people just cannot find enough food to feed their families. Uh, I think, uh, it's, it's a pretty dire situation in the country right now. The world is living through trendy news. And it's sad because, you know, Syria is not on the trends anymore. You know, there are, there are crises happening everywhere around the world, but humanity, I think, is really what should lead us, not really trends. You know, not only we should care about someone in a part of the world for one day or one week or one month and then forget about them, right? And I think that's really the, the thing that we need to focus on, like the refugee crisis. When was the last time you saw a story on the news about refugees living in refugee camps, you know, in, in Syria or Lebanon or Jordan, Turkey. And I think that's really the reason uh, why we have that uh, that apathy sometimes is because people get, uh, you know, I think um, their priorities and their news uh, uh, just from uh, the trends. A lot of people ask me if I would go back to Syria ever. I I would say that Canada is my home by choice. Syria is my home by birth. Um, I would, uh, I would uh, stay in Canada because Canada has given me the chance to, um, you know, to be alive again. Canada has given me that second chance of life. And I always say that Canada is not like a hotel or a hospital that I, I leave after I recover. Right. It's, it's like, uh, it's my home. So you are a proud Canadian. You're a CEO. Are you a future politician? Uh, that's actually in the, uh, I mean, I, you cannot imagine how many times I get this question, uh, Kelly. Mm -hmm. I, it's a, um, I would do everything that Canada, you know, would ask me to do. If um, now I feel that we are creating the difference, we are making change, we are spreading awareness, we're creating that power machine that is changing perspectives around immigrants in general. The approval rate for immigration in our region was less than uh, 30% when we arrived because we were skeptical about the idea. And now it's over 80%. And, you know, working on changing mindsets, it's much uh, more powerful than anything else. So, yeah, I mean, if Canada needs me to be a politician, I would be a politician. If Canada needs me to be a soccer player, I would learn how to play soccer, although I hate it. 
but I will, <laughs> I will, I will try to for sure. Again, you know, all the doors are open for me for sure. I think that's a, a great place to stop. Thank you, Kelly, so much. Appreciate it. What a pleasure talking, Tarek, and uh, all the best in future growth and all your endeavors. Thank you so much, Rob. Thanks so much, Kelly. Yes. That's Tarek Haddad, CEO of Peace by Chocolate. I love that story. Actually, just really incredible how uh, he he landed in Antigonish. How, how did that happen? I know, and I'm from Nova Scotia, Antigonish, beautiful little town, but uh, dominated by Catholic University and not necessarily, at least by reputation, the most welcoming of places. It's a small town. But that community showed that they are very welcoming indeed, and, and what a beautiful story it is. For more great Canadian business stories and insightful writing on big issues by data-driven scientists and top professionals who just happen to be great writers, head over to our website at businessedgemedia.ca. You can also email us about On The Edge at info at businessedgemedia.ca. Once again, I'm Kelly Ryan. And I'm Rob Driscoll. Thanks for tuning in to On The Edge.